The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, and away we go. The Culture Clash happens every Tuesday at this time, and we're here to do it again. Uh, locked and loaded, Dr. Scott Mass, an associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Good morning. Good morning, John. And Justin Troche, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good morning to you, Justin. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. By the way, today is Earth Day. Uh, just heard that reiterated on the news, and, uh, you know, it just came up as a curiosity here in a brief moment uh, of insight that uh, there is this movement to venerate the Earth, and uh, some would see that as being... A false god, you know, uh, as opposed to, say, uh, a greater presence out there? Or is it a case of, you know, this is just a manifestation of the deity and his or her handiwork? Justin Trotchy, I'm going to start with you. I mean, uh, the veneration of Earth, is there anything to that? Well, I, I think throughout history, different cultures, different religious traditions have venerated um to use that word in in different interpretations, have venerated planet Earth. Um, The ancient pagans, of course, did uh, see the Earth as potentially even a a god or usually a goddess, Um, but it's not like venerating or not so much worshipping, but certainly respecting the importance of the planet isn't perfectly reconcilable with Christianity or most other mainstream religions. And yes, of course, many who are not religious like myself are very concerned about the environmental protection of the planet. So if anything, I think this is something that could unite all of us, and I don't see it so much as, as something that divides us between uh, goddess, pagan, uh, pagan goddess-worshipping Earth people and uh, and and those who who are religious and, and and have no interest in the earth and are focused solely on God in the sky. I don't see it that way. How about you, Scott? Well, I see uh, the Earth Day uh, at least as insofar as it is veneration of the planet, as you speak, as uh, the absolute antithesis to biblical Christianity. Really? Yeah, of course, because to worship anything other than God Himself is ipso facto idolatry. Uh, and uh, it's true, as Justin said, that the ancient world did uh, revere uh, not the planet per se, that would uh, seem rather odd to them, but the forces of nature, which would be personified in various, uh, under the, the title of God, so they'd be polytheists, but they were effectively worshipping the natural forces of the world. Um, that was paganism, uh, Baal worship, the forces of fertility and so forth. And that, again, as I said, is absolute uh, an, an antithesis to biblical Christianity because it worships the power of nature, which means it worships our power, which means that effectively it's worshiping the power of a sinful fallen creation. But is there a proper role for something like Earth Day, which reminds us that we owe our existence to planet Earth, that we evolved on this planet, that we are intimately connected to the planet, that anything we do to harm the planet inevitably and irrevocably harms us. Is that necessarily uh, and you know totally polar opposite to a mainstream interpretation of the Christian message? No, there is a right place for the right understanding and the proper care of creation, uh, and it is 
it is uh, a, the biblical re- revelation on the subject that we are to exercise dominion over the earth and care for it. Uh, we are created on the sixth day with the other animals, and we are to call, we are to exercise good stewardship of the earth's resources. So Christians will happily affirm that. To revere the created order is a different thing, and to regard but you see this as neo paganism. It is a it is an absolute re- return of neo paganism, and neo paganism uh, for all of its uh, good publicity in films like Avatar was <laughs> savage and brutal. And nasty. Well, let's talk about something that that uh, concerns me as much as neo paganism concerns you, and that is you mentioned denominationalism. There's also something called dispensationalism, and some interpretations of these uh, end times obsessed uh, uh, Christian traditions uh, focus on man's dominion over the natural world in a very aggressive kind of sense, in the way that God gave us control over the world. We can do with it as we please. In any case, God's going to come back long before we can ruin the world, and, and, and this uh, harkens to the second coming of Christ and the end times and all of that. And so we might as well just, you know, go crazy and, 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 and rape and pillage the planet. And there have been uh, political folks, I believe uh, uh, former President Reagan, Secretary of the Interior, James Watt, who actually said, you know, don't worry about resource use. Uh, we can just use it as we, as we please because, you know, the second coming of Christ will occur long before we can uh, seriously harm the planet anyway. So it, it, it can get quite concerning. And these are modern political leaders that, that, that share this, this extreme view. I don't know how much power the neo-pagans have anymore. Well, first of all, I would say that dispensationalism is not biblical Christianity. Um, it is a, a, a modern development. It's, it, it stems, uh, really, it begins in the early 19th century. You start to see dispensationalist theology commit, complete with the end times things that you're so talking about. So what is about. that? Just a definition here for uh, a simple folk dispensationalism, uh, where you can use the resources at uh, your pleasure? Is no, that- no. Dispensationalism broadly speaks to uh, different dispensations of God's providence throughout the ages, and mm-hmm. we're living in the last days. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, there's going to be uh, a rapture uh, for which there's no, uh, there's very little evidence in, in Scripture. There's one reference to the rapture, and it, that's a disputed reference, but uh, tying it in with a particular program. Well, I'm very pleased to hear you uh, shrug it off as of no consequence, and I'm, I'm glad that you don't no endorse it, but the what problem is, in the U.S. at least, and the U.S. has a lot of people and, and uh, a lot of power, of course, this is uh, a, a highly popular idea. It is that popular. That there's going to be a rapture. Well, you know what they were saying that uh, <laughs> that the rapture is forthcoming. Well, I don't yeah. dispute that there's a rapture. I do I do dispute that the earth's going to be uh, somehow burnt up and destroyed. I think that the the Lord Jesus Christ will return physically, bodily, and all every eye will see him, and there will be final judgment. But I don't think it will result in a conflagration. But if you believe in that, then then what role do you see in terms of humans protecting the planet now, leading up to Christ's? I don't know. Is it an imminent return for you? Well, we don't know the day of his return, as he said. But what I will say is, as I said, we, were, we, are, we are to exercise dominion over the created order, but we're to do so under God. It's not an absolute. So the, the reference to uh, President Reagan's secretary, if I'm assuming it's accurate, mm-hmm. um, is misunderstanding that we have a responsibility under God to take care of the created order. We're right, not just to use it willy-nilly. All right. So you've got to be good stewards of the planet. Correct. So uh, this is one argument for Earth Day, and uh, yet some people do see it, as I said at the outset, as being a sort of more sinister way <coughs> of... Uh, imposing secularism or neo-paganism, and that's the way you sort of see it, Scott. I do. This is a worship of Gaia, the Earth Mother, and all. And it's sponsored by the governments, and it justifies the accumulation of power in certain, uh, you know, centralized Well, it's sponsored by by the United Nations, by UNESCO, and it is an annual event 
to remind us about the importance of preserving and protecting the planet. And Gosh, like I said earlier, I don't... If it weren't for UNESCO, I mean... So, what you're saying is basically... <laughs> well, environmental it's support has increased since they've it is inaugurated anti, It Earth is anti-Christian. Oh. It is not anti-religious. It's intensely religious. It's, it's again, oh, it's I... intensely humanistic right. under the umbrella of nature worship. Yes. All right. So uh, nature worship, and you've got a problem with that. Uh, if anybody wanted to weigh in, is that what you uh, see in Earth Day, that there's something sinister behind it, uh, that there's some kind of a motive or an agenda here? Well, uh, you can weigh in. Welcome to do so always on the Culture Clash 870-6400, star 640 on cell. Hey, how about David Cameron? Now, let's take it from the planet, just a piece of the planet, the U.K. We <coughs> claimed the other day that the U.K. is a, for all intents and purposes, a Christian country. A lot of blowback from artists, uh, comics, uh, pundits, various and sundry, uh, saying he's way offside with that. That's his own personal view, but he's wrong about it. I'm wondering if, you know, the same might be said of Canada. If, uh, I mean, we had a leader step up and say, uh, for all intents and purposes, Canada is a Christian country. Uh, I think there'd be equal blowback. Don't you, Justin? I would hope so. You would hope so. And here's where I would draw the line. I, I have no issue with a politician um, uh, being open and, and forthright about their personal religiosity. It doesn't bother me at all when um, Prime Minister Cameron talk in, in the UK talks about the healing power of faith in his life. Um, it also doesn't bother me uh, to, to acknowledge and even celebrate the, the Christian history of, of the UK. It is an important and vital contributing factor to the history of that nation. And similar things could be said about Canada. The, the problem is, he talks about, quote, evan- being evangelical about the Christianity of the UK, about, it sounds like, actually proselytizing the faith, having the state play almost a missionary role, which to me sounds like what they did in, 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 um, in the colonial times when they were pushing religion on natives all across the world. And I don't know if, the, if that's the, the the sense in which he meant it, but what else could he mean to push Christianity, the, 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 the religion of the United Kingdom as he sees it, on other people, both in and outside of the country? That's an aggressive kind of stance that worries me and worries a lot of, uh, and you of think a very leader, prominent British people who right. have signed this letter. He should keep it private. He shouldn't bring it public. Is what you're saying? His own. He can discuss his own religion public, but the idea publicly, but the idea of using it as a policy piece, which it sounds like he's pushing for, that's what concerns me. All right, did he cross a line, Scott Masson? <clears throat> well, I mean, David Cameron, for me, speaking as a Christian, uh, has no credibility whatsoever. Uh, he's here's the man who, without any uh, it being a part of his political platform, pushed gay marriage over and against the objections of his own party. Uh, it had not, as I say, been a platform issue, and who has, under his regime, marginalized uh, evangelicals and Catholics of, uh, of traditional Orthodox faith, uh, at least as much as the, the foregoing Labour government. So for him now to, uh, to make this statement about uh, Christian Britain and needing to be more evangelical sounds to me like he's worried about the loss of votes to the UK Independence Party more than anything. So that's the first thing I'd like to say. I would say that Britain, in, in certain respects, is a Christian nation and is demonstrably so. It cannot be said to be otherwise. I also think that it would be in Britain's best interest to become more more so precisely because rights and freedoms uh, flourish under that. Uh, and I think, again, that is a, unfortunately a larger discussion. But again, I think that could be demonstrated that under Christianity, uh, Britain flourished, as has Canada, and that, that it is declining precisely I share your concern, Scott, as to, <clears throat> or your, your suspicions, rather, as to why uh, Prime Minister Cameron's making this an issue now. As Suddenly. Britain, 
suddenly as Britain becomes more and more a home for immigrants, more and more diverse. Just a few years ago, there were riots in London in in poor communities, largely immigrant communities with Muslim communities with highly diverse populations, including um, a, a high rate of, of of Muslim immigration in those communities. Yeah. And this is something that will divide these communities, wow. divide the UK between those who are. Uh, Christian and therefore, I suppose, you know, first-class citizens and these poor, com- struggling communities that don't have anything bringing them together. This will foster even more division. I think it'll lead uh, and it's to partly, potentially more negative consequences. It's partly because Britain has given its powers over to Europe and has lost control of immigration. And I, I agree that's an issue, but it's a political uh, posture on his part. It has nothing to do with actual Christian faith on his part, as far as I can tell. All right. Uh, I want to talk about something else that's dividing folks closer to home. It's the Catholic teachers, uh, or at least their association, the the union versus the parents and uh, something we touched on briefly earlier this morning they're planning a presence in the pride parade world pride <laughs> june 29th and uh, some parents have taken up a petition over a thousand signatures accumulated over the uh, easter weekend and uh, now they're asking the trustees to come in and referee this one so uh, we'll find out how you guys would feel about this one uh, whether there should be a presence with the teachers union or the parents should carry the day uh, because as stakeholders it's their kids who make up, for the most part, uh, the system. Let's come back with that, uh, Scott Masson and Justin Trache. And your thoughts, any of the uh, above that we've already discussed, you'd like to comment on? This is a culture clash, plain and simple. All right, let's get back into it. Dr. Scott Masson is with us, associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trache, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance, and uh, just talking about... You know, the issues that divide us culturally uh, here in town, or uh, I guess it's Toronto, yeah, the Ontario English, it's the province, the Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association, planning to uh, have a presence at World Pride on June 29th. That's a big deal because it's not just uh, Toronto Pride, it's the World Pride big festival, and uh, it's coming to Toronto. And so they're uh, planning to send an official uh, delegation, I guess, to represent on the Catholic teachers. And uh, the parents, or some parents, have flagged it and uh, believe that this is inappropriate. The president of Parents as First Educators has uh, started a petition that's garnered so far more than a 1,000 signatures and believe that this is inappropriate to send a delegation to the event. Scott Masson, they're asking the trustees, by the way, the uh, Parents Association or the Parents uh, Group, to weigh in on this one and uh, try to rein in the Teachers Association uh, it sounds to me like it's somewhat political. Uh, where do you cast your vote on this one? Well, it is, in one sense, clearly political. Uh, the uh, parents as first educators, which are, are raising their voices against the uh, participation of the Catholic Teachers Union on this, are, are to my mind, rightly flagging up uh, the fact that people who are effectively paid out of the public purse uh, are going to be participating in something which... Um, will involve things that actually break the law, namely the manifestation of public nudity, which happens at every Pride Festival. So I think uh, I, would, I would widen the scope of criticism and include the TDSB in this, as Sam Soteriopoulos has mentioned, and also include the Ontario Teachers Union. In fact, every public body, every person that's paid out of the public purse, every union, uh, ought to not be participating in an event where the law is flouted uh, without any sort of consequence. I think it's outrageous that this is happening, and I think that there should be a greater outcry, not a lesser one. Justin Tranche. 
Well, I've never heard of this organization, and I'm, I'm not convinced by a thousand signature petition that they necessarily represent the views of of, uh, of a majority or, or certainly not a consensus of parents. Um, the motion to uh, participate in World Pride uh, was passed by the teachers union. Uh, it certainly had support uh, from a majority of the the voting delegates of the teachers union. And right. let's forget, let's remember, that's teach, the majority, many that's teachers the are the, delegates, many right? teachers are also parents. Um, uh, many Catholic teachers are also Catholic parents. So I think what we have here is a is a division within the Catholic school system, an interesting one um, between uh, uh, large groups, I think, on both sides. What's interesting to me is you often have a situation in, in the Catholic school system in Ontario where it's the teachers, the frontline workers, if you will, the ones who are the closest to the students, who are far more sympathetic uh, to walk in gay pride parade to support their gay students. Even teachers unions have gone on record, uh, Catholic teachers unions in Ontario and in other provinces, supporting gay straight alliances. It's often the trustees and, in fact, the, the bishops and Cardinal, in particular, Cardinal Thomas Collins in Toronto, who who are butting heads with the teachers when it comes to uh, now uh, walking in gay pride parade, previously on the gay-straight alliance issue. So to me, the question is, why are the teachers, those who are dealing with gay students pretty much every day and seeing the struggles they go through, seeing the bullying in the system, why are they the ones who want to support these students as best as they can, and it's the trustees who rarely actually interact directly with students. Well, first of all, Justin, it's not... Want have not, nothing to do with it. It's not, as you say, the teachers. It is the teachers' unions, which who do not represent the teachers. They take the teachers' money, and they claim to speak on their behalf. And the delegates you refer to are a small rep- representation of the teachers and often don't speak on behalf of teachers, and they certainly don't speak on behalf of the Catholic faith. And I, I dial back to the broader issue here, which is the fact that publicly funded... Institutions, individuals are participating in a uh, a festival which uh, publicly and openly and without actually any um, anyone disputing it breaks the law. And they demonstrate this to children and they ask children to participate in it. I think it's an outrageous affront to Canadian public decency. And do you, do you uphold the oh, law? I can't disagree. Look, we've talked about that particular issue on the show and I've gone on record and, I, and I've told you that I think the law should be respected. I don't think that there's any context. So you would support the I don't think there's any context in which people should be violating the law, including going uh, going out nude in public. I, I would support their arrest, you actually. You think they should be arrested? But I don't, think that the, I don't think it throws the entire legitimacy of the gay pride parade into question. It because does some individuals, it will not because some individuals it. break the law. I'd like, and I'd like to see the, the the parade authorities condemn it. But the larger point about protecting gay rights, I think we shouldn't be distracted from that. The fact of the matter is, I have interviewed gay students who have tried to start gay straight alliances, have tried to push their schools to support things like walking in the gay pride parade. They get a lot of support from their teachers, the people who know them well. Then when the teachers inform the trustees and the trustees, the bishops, about what they're planning to do, namely support students forming gay-straight alliances or taking other action to support these gay students, all of a sudden the teachers are told they can't do that. So it isn't just the, the abstract distant union, as you characterize it. It is frontline teachers who know the well, situation students are going into. Well, we are talking about the unions here, and we're not talking about the gay-straight alliances, and it's not the gay-straight alliances that are, are mobilizing here. We are talking specifically about the unions. But isn't it, uh, let me just interject, because sure. uh, you say it's not about the gay straight alliances, but uh, this is part of the overarching issue yes. that uh, the parents have flagged, as they did with the gay-straight alliances and uh, certain things in the curriculum that were coming up. And I'm wondering if this has become, when I said political at the outset, uh, maybe the testing ground or the linchpin that uh, sees the whole notion of Catholic school or separate school funding unraveling. Is that the end game that's uh, maybe being 
you know, uh, set on a path to, uh, you know, uh, no longer being able to justify Catholic school funding? Do you think that's what's in play here? I do think it's certainly one of the targets, without a doubt. It's certainly one of uh, Justin's aims, and uh, and that's fine. Uh, I would say that's certainly one of the aims. But for me, the bigger aim, <clears throat> which is tied into it, is uh, the control uh, and the legislation of public morality. That's what it, who is going to legislate that? Um, is it is it the uh, the secularist humanists who want to endorse every form of perversion and to uh, include all manner of sexual uh, activity <laughs> with, uh, and publicly say that it's good? We're going to include it so long as there's no harm to anyone. Or is there going to be something which we think is rooted in the order of nature, uh, which which uh, history has demonstrated the Christian I believe faith animals who are certainly part of the order of nature do in, do on occasion engage in homosexual sex. No, well, they right, do not. But, uh, it's absurd. Absolutely, okay. they do. Some people would say that ship has already sailed. You're just saying that the Catholics have a right to draw a line and say we're not going to have Of course it. they do. Yeah, all right. And so this is where the parents, you want to see them uh, ultimately the ultimate, the, the ultimate power, I guess. Over the education of their children and everything that has to do with it, I think it's the parents' mandate to educate uh, and to find a school that will reflect their their values on that. And but, if, the, if they will not do this, then I think a line but, has been crossed. Scott, you know, the, the argument to that, though, is uh, they're already compromised by taking public monies. Right, and I think that's, that, that is a, a real issue there. And I, I, I have said here on the air, I, I think that the government has no place in education. It ought to be wholly but, but, defunded But this is a central board. point. If you, if you believe, as I do and many do, in a strong public system, then you, then you simply cannot discriminate. And, and to, to John's point about that right, line words, being crossed, right, in other words, your values ought to rule the To that the point about the line being crossed, the line is continuing to be pushed. Uh, just a month ago or so, uh, the courts ruled that, at least in high school, uh, Catholics had to accept non-Catholic Catholic, uh, high schools had to accept non-Catholics and had to allow them to be exempted from religious uh, programs, from uh, from worship services, from, from anything else that was that was uh, uh, Catholic in nature in the school system. Mm-hmm. So that's going to water down the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the courts, of course, uh, or the legislation uh, rather, is there that that protects students from forming gay straight alliances, uh, prohibits uh, Catholic teachers or trustees from blocking that. Uh, now, World Pride. So I think at a certain point, if I were a, a, a if I were a previous supporter of the Catholic school system, I would wonder: Is this really even a Catholic identity school system? At what point I totally do agree. I want to move to the private system, where you know, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, if you're Hindu, etc., you 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 already have that option of a, of a private religious system. It's always been a bit of an anachronism that Catholics have the special privilege. Well, I don't think it's anachronism. It's part, of the consti- it's part of the setup of this country, and I think it did reflect the, the state of play at the time. I do grant the point, although I think it's a quite a trivial one to some degree, that he who pays the piper calls the tune. And if the public purse is funding the, the Catholic school system, that eventually if the public morality shifts in a direction or is pushed in a direction by those manipulating it, namely the teachers, the unions, etc., uh, that it's invariably going to be the case that the Catholic schools will Teachers are manipulating the, whatever. The, the school system. Whatever, whatever. They, well, or the union might be trying to affect a certain outcome sooner than later. That was my question. And I wanted to shift the, the discussion here while I've still got a few minutes uh, into another uh, type of uh, an ethos that is changing as well. And it has to do with a story that came to uh, mind yesterday, uh, a study that's just come out of the University of Southern California, the London Business School, that says college-educated millennials have a different set of expectations about the workplace and employers than their uh, parents might have had a previous generation. In other words, they want more job satisfaction, a better work-life balance, and uh, they believe that 
working like a dog so that you can uh, somewhere down the end of the road uh, find the pot of gold after a, a career of saving, being frugal, postponing gratification is not the way to go. Their parents did, but they don't believe it. The millennials believe that you should enjoy the process, have a better work-life balance, and uh, smell the roses along the way. Uh, there's two competing schools of thought here, at least. <laughs> Justin Troche, have the millennials got it right, uh, where they've learned the lessons of their parents and maybe grandparents, or do you think that they're playing fast and loose and may uh, you know, be caught short at the end of the day? Well, we talk a lot about the entitlement complex of a lot of young people. And as somebody who I guess was recently a young person, I think there's some truth to that. It, to me, it's staggering that you have youth unemployment as high as it is, and you still have young people who are making these these demands. But I think that they're reasonable demands. I've uh, been involved in managing a number of workplaces, more in the nonprofit sector, but there's still uh, you know, a lot of applicability, I think, to those experiences in the nonprofit sector. We're trying to bring in young people because the sector is aging and it needs to think about its its leadership succession planning. And we talk about making the organization more flexible, uh, breaking down hierarchies, uh, providing opportunities for that work-life balance. So this is definitely something that, that managers in all sectors are, are feeling. All right. The shifting mores, I guess, when it comes to the workplace. I don't think it's shifting so much. I think it's a, it is a, it's a reflection of the world that they grew up in, uh, that of inflationary politics in which uh, uh, governments have accumulated debt without limit, uh, have seen, in other words, people not living within reality. Uh, and they want more job satisfaction. They don't want to work as much. They want more leisure. Well, that's what everyone wants and has always wanted. They don't think they have to work to get things. Well, where would they have learned that from? Actually, they have learned that people, from the government. It's not that younger people work uh, less time. It's no, not they that just they put think in that, lower hours. It's that the, actually in, in some studies it's shown that they put in more time, but in fact they just want more balance. They want to know that if they're putting in more time, they're getting something out of it. They're learning new skills. They're contributing to something more meaningful than just a nine-to-five job. But again, they've learned from their forebears in a sense that uh, you can actually borrow against tomorrow, not work as hard and just get money from other people and that will work for you and it will work for a time quite frankly until the, the wall is hit and then mm. there's a massive curtailment of, this, of the state and I think that is coming. I, but I the millennials are not crazy on this front but yes, they don't have the same work ethic but they may be smart in that. I think the positive spin that I would look uh, the positive framing I would look at it through is that every generation uh, parents want their children to have more than they did. They want a better working environment. They want more Who you know, resources, etc. And and the question is, are we coming up against a brick wall where that increasing sense of entitlement, and I use that word value neutral, uh, will meet up against uh, what society and our economy can bear? Again, the, but this is a, a government-led uh over the cliff, the lemmings follow it, and quite frankly, the millennials are saying, I'm not sure I want to go there. Uh, I'm going to work really hard to end up with a millstone around my neck, and I'm not going to do it. So I understand the millennials on this. At the same time, I can't applaud them for the work ethic. I, I do think there's an issue of work ethic there. But I do think that this has been modeled for them by a, a, a governmental structure that has been utopian in its politics, and people don't trust them anymore. And I think you have way too much of a state-focused lens. Not everything comes back to the government did something evil. It could simply be that there Justin, are forces at work. Justin, the government is your solution to every problem. I don't know what you're talking that, about. That, you know, that, that, is, that is a gross exaggeration. <laughs> the other interpretation that I'm trying to put forward, I think it has more evidence to bear, is that every generation, uh, society has improved in terms of the resources that are available uh, to the next generation. And the big question to me is, and perhaps it is sign of a worrying trend, can we keep going down this route? All right, so it's about quality of life and uh, some people postpone gratification so that they can have a better quality of life at the end of the day they don't see it 
that oh, way, and no. uh, they don't want to wait. They want it now. They want it all, and uh, whether they're to be con- congratulated or condemned, we'll leave it up in the air because we're done. I appreciate it. Uh, very lively discussion this morning. Thank Dr. You. Scott Masson from the Westminster Chapel in Toronto and Justin Trache, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you, you, gentlemen. And Scott, take care of that cold. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.